Today's reading is taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and can be found on page 1132 in the Church Bibles. Page 1132. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's gospel reading is taken from John chapter 4, verses 5 to 42. This can be found on page 1066 of Church Bible. It's John chapter 4, verses 5 to 42. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to John. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sukkah, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? In bracket, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In bracket, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? 
Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The disciples, the disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It is still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many Samaritans believe. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. A good prayer um, bears repetition, so... One minute, hang on. I'm just going to pray before the talk. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. We pray that you will meet each of us now. And we come to you with our thirsts, with our cravings. Give us the water of life. Amen. A couple of questions. Who are you? Who do you think you are? That's the first one. And the next one's a bit of a harder one, maybe. How are you going to keep going? How are you going to, as you peep towards the future, what's going to see you through? Who are you, and how are you going to keep going? So two questions, and um, as every good Sunday school pupil knows, the answer is, well done, Jesus. (laughs) June, you're obviously a star pupil. (laughs) Okay, so I'll go sit down now. <laughs> um, so we're going to look at this story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at the well that's just been read to us. And we're going to look at two things. What Jesus did. And so what? What's that got to do with me? Um In my email inbox every morning, I get a mailing from um, a Franciscan monk, Richard Ruhr, not him personally, but his organization. Um, Sometimes I even read it. One of the things that he says, one of his observations, which I love, is that the way we do something is the way we do everything. The way I do something, the way I do anything, is the way I do anything, everything. Hang on. (laughs) The way I do anything is the way I do everything. No, you might want to think about that. I think there's something in that, that there's a clue to how we live, to who we are, to who we really are, that we can spot as we go about the daily mundane things, getting a drink of water. So think about yourself. Who is that person who was um, wandering around the supermarket or putting petrol in the car or unloading the shopping yesterday, whatever you were doing? How were you in those everyday actions? Who are you? Okay, is there anybody here who never gets tired? Anybody here who never has that feeling that they're really not quite as at home in the world as they'd like to be? That it kind of feels a bit like you're on foreign territory. It's a bit uncharted and you're not sure the way. That's good. Um, So I'll carry on talking. Um, (laughs) I think we all identify with that feeling of we really need a drink sometimes. Um, I don't know how that is for you. Hopefully it's you really need a drink of something refreshing and energizing. That nice cuppa. 
And I think also, if we're honest with ourselves, we can relate to that sense that we really need something to keep us going. We really need something to help us through the week ahead. And if you're here and you like the idea of this endless well of energy within you, powering you through your week, if that kind of appeals to you, you might like to be a little bit more ready for it, a little bit more energised to do what needs to be done, then this story has so much in it for us, and I include myself in that, obviously. But also, although that appeals to us, and although lots of us have grown up all our lives knowing that Jesus is the living water, the water of life is there for us. Aren't we blessed? We know Jesus. But it sometimes feels a bit like we've come to the well and we've got no bucket. How do we access that? What does that mean? Come to me, all you who are thirsty. I'll give you the water of life. It's free. You know, it's a strong biblical theme all the way from Isaiah, the flowing resources. It's in the Psalms. It's in Ezekiel with the river of life. All we need to do is drink of that water and we'll be ready for anything. Where's my bucket? How do I access that? So I thought a good place to start is at the story. So if you've got it, please follow it. If I'd have been more organized, I would have asked Daniel to stick it up on the screen, but yesterday ran away with me somewhat. Um, it's on page 1066, if you haven't already got it open. So I thought it would be good to look at what Jesus did in this story. Because the way that we do anything is the way that we do everything. Perhaps how he deals with this chance encounter when he needed a drink gives us some really important keys. So here Jesus is. It's at the time when his popularity is rising. The Pharisees have got wind of the fact that an awful lot of people are interested in him, are following him, even more than were following John the Baptist. And so things have been getting a bit intense and a bit stressy because they would in that situation, wouldn't they? So here he is taking some time out. He's taking a break. He's sent the disciples, or maybe they've said they'll go, and he just didn't feel like going off to the nearby town. And he stopped at the well. He needs time to rest. He needs time to think and process all the stuff that's going on. And actually, he needs help. Okay, hang on a minute. Let's just stop and think about that, because this is the creator of the universe. This is the one we were just singing about, the mountains roaring and the seas... No, the mountains bowing down and the seas roaring at the sound of his name. And he's thirsty and he's tired. And he's probably a bit frazzled trying to work out how to deal with all the politics. The Pharisees aren't very keen on what's going on. And This is the one who made the universe... This is the one who gave us water. And he needs a drink. It's a bit like um, being at the well in the middle of the day. I kind of think maybe the nearest equivalent we would have is being in the Tesco Express at 11.30 at night. 
because all sensible people would be having a siesta in the middle of the day. Who would go to Tesco Express at 11.30 at night? What's going on? <laughs> it's not mainstream. But then Jesus rarely is. So here he is. He finds himself at the edge of a strange town. And along comes the Samaritan woman. So who is she? Um, many of us grew up with the idea, because uh, we've heard the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and we were kind of taught that Jews and Samaritans were enemies. They were you know, really deadly foes. Actually, they didn't have much to do with each other, and Jews would never have drunk out of a Samaritan's drinking vessel as a normal rule of things. But it's kind of a bit more like they did share some heritage together. The Samaritans had the same books of Moses, the Torah, what we have as the first five books of the Bible. And at some point in the past, they'd parted company and gone off in a different direction in their understanding of God. But they did have that in common. And as we see from the story, the meeting is at Jacob's Well. This is a place that's got significance for both the Jews and the Samaritans. And that comes out later in the story. So, I don't know how they would have felt about each other, but I can guess that they grew up in different traditions, that they grew up being taught different things about each other's way of life. This is how we do things. They do things differently. They dress differently and they eat differently. They certainly worship in a weird way. They may never have met one of each other's tribe before. They may have heard all sorts of things from their parents, from the equivalent of the media of the day. They may have come with all sorts of ideas about what this person was going to be like and how this person was going to feel towards them. And maybe we can find parallels as we look at our neighbours here in, in Harrow Weald. That it's easy to live in our own little bubble and associate with our own sorts of people. And we have ideas that these neighbours of ours, well, I've heard what they're like. But in this story, we have a real encounter. We have a real meeting I think also I've grown up with the idea that this woman who had five husbands and was currently with a man who isn't her own husband, that there was something quite scandalous about that. That may be so, but we don't know that. Think about the culture that they were in, thinking about how women were often the property of the males of the household. Maybe she was married off young to some older chap. Maybe she just had a lot of bad luck. She's certainly, what we do know, wouldn't have had much control about her own destiny in this culture. So let's try and be open because we see her coming with an open mind, I think. So going back to the question, what does Jesus do? What, how do we see him deal with this? First of all, he meets her on her own territory. It's not even intentional. He hasn't organized an evangelistic event although that's what it turns out to be. 
He's on her ground. It's neutral. It's non-threatening for her. And significantly, although she's powerless, she's only a woman. She's not even of a tribe that would expect him to give her the time of day. He empowers her. He asks her for help. The creator of the universe needs a drink. How does that change the nature of the encounter? And she challenges him. Let's have a look again at the story. You were a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Maybe that's a surprising response. She's got a, maybe she's a bit feisty here. Maybe she's, maybe she's empowered by the fact that he's empowered her. Maybe she's daring to say, oh, what's going on here? She could have just submissively given him the drink. She could have told him to something off. Who knows what other alternative stories we might have been looking at here. But he chooses to engage with her. And however insignificant she was in other people's eyes, he gives her more than the time of day. Uh, It reminds me of sometimes when you're at the supermarket and you realize that you've come out and you've just had an encounter with that person at the till and you get out and you can't even remember whether it was a man or a woman because you were in a hurry, let alone treating them as a whole human being. Did she expect him to stand on dignity? I don't know. But this, I think, is one of those stories in the Gospels that only makes sense if you believe in a smiley Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I believe in a smiley Jesus. Sometimes you read the words on the page and you think, oh, that's a bit strong. And it it doesn't make sense. Why would people flock to him if he hadn't said that with a smile on his face? I don't know. That's my theory anyway, the smiley Jesus theory. He respects her. He makes space for her. He doesn't accept the conventional norms. He affirms her. When his reply to her throws her, when he suddenly asks about her husband, he allows her to divert the conversation a bit. He holds that space open. He lets her change the subject. He stays non-threatening. He lets her have an adult conversation, an adult male conversation. And obviously she's an intelligent woman. She wants to talk about God. She wants to talk about the ways we worship, it would seem. Maybe she sensed here an opportunity that she could do that. And somehow the openness was there between them. And he recognizes in her questions about the details of how we worship, where we worship. Should we be scripted or spontaneous? Should we do it here? Should we do it there? He recognizes her true spirit and he affirms that. Maybe you can't get to worship, service, whatever they would have called it in some Samaritan culture. Maybe you can't get out every Sunday or Saturday or whatever day you were supposed to get out. But as long as you are in truth and in spirit of love for God, that's affirmed by Jesus. And here's a significant thing as well. One thing that he does that I haven't mentioned yet, that he makes himself vulnerable to her, not just by asking for a drink. He discloses 
who he is. Back to that question at the beginning of who are we. And here he is at this point where the crowds are following him. Maybe there's something here that he's coming to terms with being the Messiah. Imagine if you sat down outside Asda or somewhere and somebody said to you, I'm the one that's going to save the world. (laughs) He's risking a lot of rejection here. Maybe that's why he's choosing somebody who's a bit outside of things, a bit on the edge. Maybe this first revelation is significant. He discloses. He risks rejection. So that's the story. You can read it there, page 1066. That's some of it anyway. We haven't got time for it all. But um, what about us? And that takes us to the other reading and the line that stands out for me. When we were still powerless, Christ died for us. Here's a woman who hasn't got all the power over her life. She probably looks back and doesn't see it unfolding the way that she thought it would when she was a girl. It's got a bit out of control, to be honest. And who of us looks back over our life and thinks, yes, it's gone exactly according to plan. Perfect. Thank you very much. When we were still powerless... God died for us when we know it hasn't gone according to plan and when we know we've had to compromise and circumstances have pushed us here and pushed us there. When we were still powerless, he was there for us. He met us. And I think maybe in this story, Jesus isn't just meeting her in a muddle. Maybe he's in his humanity working out his muddles, the two of them are meeting in their muddle. And as they meet in this muddle, we get this true, this authentic encounter. And I think that's something that we all long for. As we meet each other in our muddles, Jesus meets us too. And we're on the home straight now because I want to talk about a little bit more about what this means for us. Jesus says to her, when he tells her that he is the living water, he is the water of life, he says to her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God. And so when we need that inner energy. We know that the things that keep us going from day to day aren't always wholesome things. I don't know what your particular addiction is, but so many of us survive by being too busy or in all sorts of other unwholesome ways. Jesus is offering the water of life. Literally, it just means the fresh water, the drinkable water, the one that's going to do you good. It's not going to give you any bugs. The one that's going to see you through and help you, that you need. And so in our heads we know we have Jesus. Hooray! But in our lives sometimes we have no bucket. How do we get hold of that? 
So I was thinking about this yesterday because I was a bit frazzled and um, I was thinking, oh, how am I going to do the talk tomorrow? I'm so tired. Um, and I thought, well, if it's not true, then there's no point in me doing the talk tomorrow, so I better get to grips with this. So I looked again. And what struck me is he's told her that he's the water of life. She said, oh, yes, please, let me have some of this. And he then says, go and find your husband. It's a bit weird. Is it a trick? Is it a sort of, aha, butcher kind of question? I don't think it is. What, what, I'm sure this isn't the whole story. I'm sure there's lots more truth in this than I can share now. But one thought that came to me is that maybe his response is the fountain of life, the water of life. Because what it contains is total acceptance. Total knowing all about her, and she recognizes that. And she recognizes that she's loved in that, that he's not dismissing her for it. And isn't that what we all crave, to be fully known and to be fully loved? And this is the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, wow, if we knew the half of what we already have, it's already been given to us, while we were still sinners, while we were still powerless, it was ours, if we knew the half of that. This is the gift of God, to be fully known and to be fully loved and to be offered all the resources we need. Because if we have that sense of our own value, that sense of worth that he gave to her, the dignity, the attention, the respect, even if nobody else in the world gives it to us, even if the most important people to us are trashing us, well, we're still powerless. This is the gift of God for us. And I went into the garden yesterday and um, smashed up some wood for my fire. Um, because one of the things that helps me a lot is the Ignatian prayer practice called the Examine, which is about looking at the things that give us life. What are the things that do resource me? What are the things that do make me feel, ah, yes, okay. And for me, it's pottering around in my garden when I should be indoors doing the housework and preparing talks for church and things like that. What are the things that give you life, that make you feel valued, make you feel worth it? And do you dare to spend time and energy on them? Do you dare to say, I need this, this is how I drink, this is how, this is my bucket, this is how I get hold of the water of life? And it may not be anything that feels particularly holy. It may be chopping wood, it may be belly dancing, it may be train spotting, not thinking of anyone in particular, but whatever your thing is that makes you feel that you are worth it, <laughs> do it. Because that may not feel terribly holy, it's not like going to a Bible study, or is it? Maybe as you go and stare at the trees and the rivers, then all this stuff in the Bible about the river of life and about our roots going down into the flowing river. I love that first psalm, Psalm 1, look it up sometime. Um, because how much more does it mean to us when we're out there looking at the tree and getting to know the river and thinking, yeah, God has truth in this for me. 
So I'm going to shut up in a minute because I think that's it really. That's how we access the water of life. We find what our bucket is. We find the things in which he gives us. Let's recognize it's his gift even if it might not feel holy. He gives us these things that make us feel that we are brought back to ourselves. We are refreshed. We're resourced. And none of us are beyond the pale. There aren't any secrets that are too embarrassing. There are none of us whose past needs to define our future because he meets us where we are. And he offers us refreshment and he offers us life. And as as our cup runs over, let's share it because the harvest is plentiful, as he goes on to say to the disciples. Get out there. (laughs) You don't need to set up an evangelistic event. Make every encounter that you have this week be a sharing of that life because you've got it flowing, because you've given yourself the time, because you've taken that chance to resource yourself, whatever the gift is that resources you. So that's about it, really. Let me know how you get on. (laughs) Let's pray. Thank you that you know who we are. And thank you that you resource us so that we can keep going. Amen.